Well, good afternoon and God bless you. We're so thankful that you've joined us for our Tuesday afternoon, Spirit-Led Ministries broadcast. And we're just so honored today to have our friend back, William Lau. William Lau is the founder and director for The Elijah Ministries, a ministry that, that trains and equips and sends believers to fulfill the command of Jesus, to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead. And he's moving in this area of ministry in a very effective manner. And we're just so happy today to have uh, Pastor William with us. Um, give me one second. Baby, I'm in the middle of my interview, so I can't talk. All right. So sorry. My wife <laughs> forgot that I'm doing the interview today. <laughs> That she calls and hangs up and calls and hangs up. <laughs> Maybe I'm across the room and can't get the phone, but I didn't. Continue. So anyway, just we're just so thankful for for uh, for Pastor William and his ministry with Elijah. And we was talking a little bit earlier, William, just about your extensions and what you've been doing. So why don't you give us an update? What's happening with the Elijah Challenge? And uh, you had mentioned uh, expanding. That's exciting. Expanding into, I believe you said, Indonesia. So why don't you just share a little bit about that? Mm. Okay. So good to be with you, John. Thank you for this opportunity. For several years, we've been very active in India, training and sending and supporting out harvest workers. And they've been extremely fruitful in, in particular in one state of India. Oh. It's called Odisha, which is ruled by fundamentalist Hindus and where baptism is illegal. So... It's a gospel resistant place, but because of the miracles, the Lord has, we have uh, 1,100 house churches within four years through our harvest workers. Wow. And now we feel led to branch out. We're going to branch out to Indonesia. Now, India is the second largest country in the world, right after China. But within 10 years, it is said that India is going to overtake China as number one. Indonesia is number four. Number one is China, followed by India, followed by the United States, and then Indonesia. Uh, many people probably have never heard of Indonesia. I did not know that population was. Yes, it is the fourth largest country in the world in terms of population. And I was there as a missionary for nine years from 1978 to 1987. So we know the people there. We know the culture. We know the language. <laughs> and so feel, we feel it's time for us to do in Indonesia what we have been doing in India, to train and raise up harvest workers, to send and support them, to go out to totally unreached places, to heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God. So that is the latest reach from the latest news from the Elijah Challenge. And of course, we don't want to stop with Indonesia. As the Lord provides, we want to go into all the world, proclaiming the gospel, making disciples of all nations. Beautiful. I, I did not realize that Indonesia, uh, of course, I've been to Jakarta. I've been to different parts of Indonesia, of course, doing crusades in the past when I was active with crusade ministry. But mm. that's, that's something I didn't realize that because uh, Indonesia is not a terribly large landmass, but Again, no. it must be a very populated uh, yeah. area. Many well, islands. Yes. Thousands yeah. of islands. Yes. Well, thank you so much, uh, Pastor William. And, you know, um, 
You mentioned about the house churches. Of course, here in Spirit Family, we call them house fires. We just did one Sunday night here in the Porter area, and we we usually minister in, in a house fire at least once to twice a month. Personally, of course, our vision is to raise up leaders and believers that would be willing to minister from house to house. It just seems to be a slow catching on concept because people confuse what we call house fires and what you mentioned house church with the old concept of just cell ministries, which, you know, failed terribly in the eighties and nineties trying to follow the pattern of Paul Yang Cho, but because you don't have the measure of honor that America has, as you mentioned, they went from being a, a house cell to becoming a cancer cell, and that's mm. never healthy. So what is one of the uh, secrets to success, if we could call it, to you uh, establishing house uh, uh, fires or house churches? Uh, and I know specifically you work in India and Indonesia, but let us know what some things that you teach or structure principles you set forth that allows you to have over a thousand house churches. That's incredible. Mm. Well, this is a relatively recent thing, so it's probably not as well developed as what you have. But typically, we will send out a worker, two workers into a place. They look for the sick. And of course, it's a totally unreached area where they only have witch doctors. So they've tried everything else. They've tried doctors, local medicine, witch doctors, nothing works. And finally, somehow they hear about our workers. So they call our workers and our workers go. They minister in the Lord's supernatural authority and power and the sick family member is healed. The family member, of course, is amazed. And then the gospel is shared. Only after the miracle, the gospel is shared in depth. And by then, the hearts of the people obviously are open. And typically, the whole family will believe in Jesus. And then, then they may say something like, oh, well, when can you come back again? <laughs> you know, we would like to hear more about Jesus. Uh, I think what is really happening is that this uh, newly saved family, they are afraid that the demon might come back or the disease might come back. So they want the servant of God to keep coming back to teach them more and more about Jesus. And so our harvest worker will say, oh, sure, I'll be back this Sunday. In fact, I'll come back every Sunday and we will pray. I'll teach you the word of God. I'll teach you to do what I did. I'll teach you how to share the gospel with your friends and neighbors. So that's what we have up until now. Okay. And so the believers are being trained uh, just like our harvest workers. Uh, the harvest workers, of course, we support them full time financially. But now they themselves have become trainers and they are training these new believers to do what they did. And so that is what we have uh, currently. Uh, of course, we have some discipleship materials to teach them how to live holy lives, how to obey God and how to preach the gospel and please the Lord and bear fruit for the Lord. So that's what we have going right now in India. Wow. So basically these harvest workers are trained and not only do many of them perform what we would call the ministry of the apostolic ministry, which is being sent into regions that are unreached to preach the gospel. And of course the prophetic and the evangelistic and bringing them into the kingdom, but they also operate as shepherds and teachers to help ground yes. 
and guide these people into the kingdom. Is that correct? Yes, yes, that's correct. So every Saturday we meet and there I teach a group of disciples. And among them, of course, is our India coordinator. So every Saturday he receives discipleship material, which he can hand off to his trained harvest workers, who in turn teach our believers in the over 1,000 house churches. So the discipleship is going on as well. And so if I understand you correctly, um, the largest majority, probably 90 to 95% of the training and equipping that you're speaking of is accomplished by Zoom and by, by online means. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Uh, in the beginning, um, what we did was our coordinator in India, he gathered together 12 workers whom he thought were committed. And then he spent two months training these workers exactly as Jesus trained his disciples. He would take them from place to place and town to town where he would heal the sick and preach the gospel. And these 12 workers were with him, watching him, observing him and learning to do what he did. Of course, he would also teach them in private, but he did both. I believe that's what Jesus did. And after two months, he would say, okay, now go. They would be sent to an unreached place where they would do what they saw him doing. They would heal the sick, cast out demons, preach the gospel, and plant a house church. And so that's essentially what he did in the very beginning. All right. And he continued to do that every two months. Uh, things might be changing now because now he has raised up seven leaders and these seven leaders themselves can do what he did. Uh, each of the seven leaders can train a group, a batch of 12 workers. Uh, I'm not sure how they're doing that over there. But in the beginning, that's how it was done. Uh, it was not done over Zoom at that time because that was like uh, over four years ago. But I believe Zoom can be used for the same purpose because you can demonstrate, for example, you can do demonstrations of healing over Zoom. You don't have to be there face to face with the person because authority is not limited by distance. And that's one primary way by which Jesus healed the sick by speaking over someone with authority. And so you can do demonstrations of healing for students over Zoom and someone halfway around the world can be miraculously healed as you do this demonstration using the authority of the name of Jesus. So I believe nowadays Zoom will be very effective. Although at the beginning, uh, we did not use Zoom. At that time, the pandemic had not yet come. Man. Well, you know, um, what you're speaking about is certainly uh, Book of Acts. It's certainly the way the first church operated from house to house and in temples, uh, ministering and sharing and, and preaching the gospel and how the first church in the Book of Acts exploded from 120 praying in an upper room for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to 3,000 then 5,000 with priests came in and just exploding on and on. And most of that was facilitated through house to house ministry. It yes. seems like here in America, especially, you know, with the program based church uh, here at Spirit Led Family, we really embrace the importance of believers part in end time harvest that everybody has a specific assignment from God to accomplish in impacting the spheres of society and sharing Jesus with everybody. Mm. There seems to be a resistance in some circles. I'm not condemning every uh, denominational or program-based church, but 
sometimes there's a resistance against empowering believers to do ministry outside the four walls. I know in denominations, they've given this a name. They call it parachurch ministry. But it seems your success has been not coming into a country and trying to work hand in hand with a denomination and established churches to accomplish this. You've just simply gone out into the highways and byways, gathered, and then trained those to gather more. Is this correct? Yes, yes, that is correct. Uh, I have been teaching the Elijah Challenge for the past 20, 22 years, since the year 2000. And I have taught in a lot of local churches in 50 countries around the world. And I have found that when you teach a local church, it really does not move the needle of the Great Commission. Uh, what happens is that the church itself can be blessed. Uh, miracles do happen during the training. And maybe for a few weeks afterwards, they apply what they learn. Uh, they minister healing to sick people and people get saved and the church increases in number, okay? But the problem is, to me, that does not move the needle of the Great Commission toward fulfillment. What do I mean by that? Well, according to missiologists, there are between 3,000 and 7,000 unreached people groups which must be reached before we fulfill Matthew 24, 14, before all nations are discipled, all right? And uh, what's the definition of an unreached people group? It is a people group where there is no witness of Jesus Christ, no church, where the gospel is not available even for people who look for it, all right? Uh, obviously, America is reached in that sense, okay, because the gospel is everywhere. Uh, in America, yeah, many people have not heard the gospel, but the gospel is available everywhere. TV, radio, internet, neighbors, churches on every street corner. But there are as many as 7,000 unreached people groups, which must be reached before the end comes. So my focus is on those unreached people groups. That is my calling to train workers and send them to reach those up to 7,000 unreached people groups. And only then the end will come. And so I'm no longer so enthusiastic about teaching this in a church setting. Uh, the church is blessed, yes, but it does not move the needle. And that's our calling. And so now I focus not on doing this in churches, not so much on training churches, but gathering together committed disciples, usually younger men, younger women who want to be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. And typically they are not a pastor. If you're a pastor, uh, you can't go out. You've got to stay with your flock. Every Sunday, you got to minister to them. You've got to put out flyers, uh, fires. You've got to do this. You've got to do that, you know, I was a pastor for 20 years. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's routine after a while. And so, but when you train these workers and send them out, that's exciting because they come back with reports like, uh, like the 72 in Luke chapter 10, when they came back, they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. <laughs> and so that's what we are doing now to move the needle of the great commission toward its fulfillment. So, but if a church invites me to teach it, I will teach it. I will gladly go. But my heart is really training serious disciples who are going to go out and we will support them fully so that they don't have to, uh, they don't have to be tent makers. They know that the funds will be there. So they are full time. They spend all of their time 
healing the sick, preaching the gospel, and planting churches. So yes, that is our focus during these very last days. We were, fulfill we just, Matthew 24, 14. We were just having this conversation uh, on Thursday during our training that we do with Spirit Family. And we we're talking about the difference between kingdom and denominationalism. Mm, and yeah. uh, he was talking about how I had observed for so many years within denominationalism, they would have their general conference, which was the main conference that all pastors and all leaders from around the world would come to convene. And within that particular five-day event or four-day event, they would have what is called a foreign mission service. And mm. most evangelical denominations do this. And they'll have uh, missionaries from all over the world dressed up in their missionary attire, coming down and walking down, waving flags where everyone stands and claps for their sacrifice. And you got the mother and the father and the children and everyone's so moved emotionally. And then they, then through that emotional pool, they would raise a huge offering, you know, two, three, four million dollars. <clears throat> and it wasn't until I'd been <clears throat> ordained in this denomination that I discovered that 61% of what was given in that foreign mission service went to renting <laughs> yes. BMWs and, yes. Yes. and Mercedes Benzes and leases and salaries yes. and there you office go. equipment and, 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 and whatever else. 61%. It was never disclosed. It was all said, oh, we're going to give this money to these poor missionaries. And and because and I'm not throwing stones of condemnation, I'm just showing the difference between kingdom and denominationalism. We're not against denominations per se. We just don't like the spirit of denominationalism where, you know, there seems to be this unspoken right that when money is given yes. towards causes like this, that we have a right because the IRS says that if at least 51% or whatever the, the number is uh, goes towards a cause. And of course, they have loopholes to work on that percentage to bump it up to 61%. But, you know, I know that you have mentioned that Elijah Challenge uh, does not use funds for offices and salaries within the structure, but only to support the vision of seeing these uh, kingdom workers trained and equipped and, and uh, released into their harvest fields. Is that yeah. correct? Yes, correct. Correct. We do not build churches. I don't see church buildings in the uh, in the book of Acts. So we do not build churches. Therefore, our overhead is very, very low. And so in that way, we can expand, expand. It is not necessary to have a traditional church building in order to proclaim the kingdom of God. We don't see it in the book of Acts. It's a tradition. I'm not saying it's a sinful tradition, but it is not biblical. And it often results, well, you, you actually hit the spot. Uh, so, sometimes it's a it's a matter of money and power, money and power. Okay. You, you hit it. I wasn't going to mention that, but you know, pastors, we pastors are human beings, just like any other human being like Putin. We love power and we love money and we love what money can buy. And so we set up the church system such that we stay in power. Uh, we don't allow our believers to grow in maturity to the fullness of Christ. So they cannot compete with us. They cannot threaten with us. We are the big man. We are the boss. What we say goes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I really did not want to say that, but you opened the door. So, okay. no, so I mentioned that. that. And, and most of our viewers also understand that we're not against buildings. We just believe if you have a building, use it for training. 
use it to train and equip people to do the real ministry, which is outside mm-hmm. the four walls of that building, Correct. To impact the sphere of society. But you know, I grew up in denominationalism, and I understand you know the the jockeying and the power that it's all about nickels and noses. That the only way you get respect in these yes. ladder-driven <laughs> denominational environments is by how big your church is, how much money you can, can exactly create these positions. But God has delivered us from all of that. And our trial of fire in the past seven years has been purging them Mm. out of our hearts to where we don't consider ourselves to be above and more powerful and more important than believers who are doing the work of God around the world, but rather we recognize and God calls the fivefold, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, not pastors, shepherds, shepherds. teachers, that they come together as a round table for the main purpose of training and equipping believers to do the work of ministry. And we have a similar platform within Spirit Family that we teach in India and we teach it in Africa. Uh, it's not received very well here in America, so I'm, I'm cautious in teaching it. <laughs> yes. So, but uh, we teach about what we call the blueprint of apostolic revival. And that is God speaks to an apostolic father, tells him strategically mm. where the next place is to reach. Then you gather the teams of the prophet and the evangelist to go out, to minister, to gather, to, to, to gather the, 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 this flock, and then they receive miracles, like you said. They receive Jesus. They receive breakthroughs. And many times this is happening in small settings, in house fires. Yes. Then the ministry of the shepherd and teacher comes in to help ground and guard these people so this can be repeated again, to, to take, take territory in another area, to take territory in another area, to advance more house fires. It's very uh, evident, though, that you have a good, structure and foundation to be able to have over a thousand house churches that are actively ministering and and bringing people into the kingdom you must have a good leadership structure and team that is loyal and honorable why don't you talk about that how you came about establishing that leadership team well it took years i first went to india in the year 2000 And uh, I did not meet our current coordinator until the year 2003 when I went there to teach the Elijah Challenge. Our current coordinator, he was my translator. He translated from my English into the local dialect. I forget what it was. And of course, he had never been exposed to the Elijah Challenge before. And so the first time he translated for me, it was like he he kind of wasn't sure what I was talking about, all right? Because he had never heard it before. He had gone to a seminary. He had a master's, but he had never had he never heard this before. And then I believe it was in the following year we I came back again to India, and the second time he was asked to translate for me. And so by then he was starting to get it. It was starting to sink in the principles that I was teaching. All right. And then a few years later, he actually came to New Delhi where I taught this for a group of servants of God. And for the third time, he was exposed to this Elijah Challenge training. And after that, he took off, okay? He began to do things like he would go on trips where he would heal the sick, cast out demons, people would get saved. Now, at that time, he was still serving under another ministry, okay? It was more of a humanitarian type ministry. Uh, They had a school, uh, 
things like that, okay? And so his leader at that time was not pleased with what he was doing. He was going around healing the sick, casting out demons. And his leader at that time was not very happy because that's not what he was paid to do. And so he decided to, okay, I'll do it during my time off. Uh, during my time off, my vacation time, I will go out and preach the gospel, heal the sick. And his boss said, no, you may not do that. Okay. So eventually, this brother, this pastor, his name was Subot, he decided to resign. He quit his job. And uh, he told me, he said, Pastor, I am quitting my job because I want to do what you have taught me to do. Now, at that time, I could have been tempted to say, okay, in that case, I will support you. <laughs> All right. But I, I thought, no, 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 no. He has to be tested. Okay. So um, we didn't support him, even though I don't know how he was living. I don't know how he was making it, but we were not supporting him. And then from time to time, maybe once a week, once every two weeks, he would send us reports about what he was doing. He went to a village. He had a meeting. People were healed. People were saved and so forth. And he did this for a number of years without asking for a dime. He kept on doing it, even though we weren't supporting him. So finally, after a number of years, I can't remember how many years it was, I decided, okay, he has been tested. I believe he is as pure as pure gold. So we're going to begin supporting him. So at that time, we began to support him and his family because I believe I could trust him. I knew him personally. This man was not after money. He was not after money from some rich ministry in America to support his family. He wanted to serve God and please God and bear fruit. And so that's how we found him, okay? It took a long time. Uh, let me tell you, in India, you have to be very patient when you find the leader. They have to be tested, okay? And so now uh, I have given him this job of coordinating these uh, 200 workers that we now have in the state of Odisha. So it took a while. It was certainly not overnight. This is something that you do step by step by step, okay? What, um, where is Odisha at? Is that in the north or is uh, that no. like Calcutta? It's or? sort of in the southeast, not far from Calcutta. Okay. Not far from Calcutta, in the southeast. Okay, I wasn't familiar with that, that area. Yeah. Most, most of our ministry in India has been around uh, the Andhra Pradesh area. Uh, and then we have a few in the Karali district. But um, I think good. Odisha borders Andhra Pradesh. Right. I think it borders it, yeah. Right, right, right. Well, you know, this is this is beautiful. This is a, a very beautiful uh, story of um, how you've trained these leaders and they're loyal. And I agree with you. I've been uh, working in India for well over 30 years. Mm. While there are some good village pastors that are humble, that love God, they're not money hungry. And we've come across one of the, such of those pastors, we, we refer to him as an apostle because he has 70 ministries that he leads in that region in the uh, Kakienda area, that, mm -hmm. that, that region. And uh, uh, Pastor Babu, he's very, very, has a heart for the kingdom. And uh. you, you discover these precious men of God. And yes, there's others that are just charlatans. And like you have this in America, every nation, that's just human nature. Yes. They want to be conniving and deceptive for money. But you know, pretty soon when you go in with your eyes wide open and spirit led and 
you're you're perceptive, you can pick up on who is real and genuine and who is not. So mm -hmm. thank yes. you so much for what you are doing with the Elijah Challenge. And if you want to know more about what um, uh, Pastor William is doing uh, in uh, the Elijah Challenge, you can go to the website, www.theelijahchallenge.com. .org. Oh, I'm so sorry. .org. Uh, the, uh, forgive me for that. Let me <laughs> Correct that. Um, dot org. Yes. So um, there we go. Dot org. The Elijah Challenge. Dot org. You can definitely not only see what um, Pastor Lau is doing, but also you want to support and come alongside their endeavor to train and raise up kingdom workers to share the gospel and to bring people into the kingdom of God there in. Indonesia. Now, you know, I know we've got the war on Ukraine. It's been raging now for three weeks, just about. It's the 20th day today. And um, this, this tyrant Putin that is just bent on destroying this company. And then unfortunately, the weakness of leadership that has been revealed here in the United States of America that for so many years has been looked to as, as a leader. And I do believe that leadership is, God gives leadership, not so you can promote your agendas and, and promote your, your philosophies. And, and God raises leaders to protect the innocent, to, yes. to, to cover those that are weak and cannot help themselves, and to make the hard decisions and stand strong and I've been praying for our leaders in government, in the White House, that they would have a change of heart and to begin to make a stand and, and to do what is right. And that is our prayers. And of course, praying for Ukraine, praying this heart that has turned so wicked and almost demonic with uh, the Russian attacks, that they would uh, turn and that they would become protection. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and this atrocities would come to an end. But this is all part of the picture of what we call the end times. And yes. you had referenced yes. earlier that one of the main scriptures that I believe, you know, talks about where we stand in this times as, as uh, you know, in referring to the coming of the Lord, that one of the things that stands in between the Lord's coming is what you're doing right now, what we're doing with the gospel of the kingdom being preached in all the world for a witness. Because that's one thing that, that Jesus said would have to take place before the end would come. And I believe that, that, that we are in the, the, the time that with the advent of social media and, 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 and uh, people preaching the gospel on Facebook and LinkedIn and like right now, we are uh, we are uh, broadcasting live on eight different platforms simultaneously, mm. and this My. is reaching people across the world. We, as I mentioned earlier, we have people right now from Kenya, from Singapore's on. We have people from um, India on and listening, and so you know this. What we're doing today is actually helping to bring the coming of the Lord uh, mm. closer. 
And uh, I don't know as far as the timeline's concerned. I know that Jennifer and I have set our hearts that we're going to give the next 10 years of our life to just preaching the kingdom and raising up this generation. Um, you know, another scripture that's very important to this is also Acts 21. It talks about that Jesus will be held in heavens until the times of restitution of all things. This is a whole other part of the picture that we have not seen the restitution of all things, that the acts and the principles of the first church being established within the hearts of believers here today. So um, what do you have uh, in, in to say uh, about this, about the timeline of where we're at in uh, this uh, day in reference to the coming of the Lord? Mm, okay. I'm going to turn to Matthew 24, which you just quoted earlier, but I'm going to start with verse 9, okay? So let me read this. This is what Jesus said. This is what he said will happen during the very last days, okay? Then you, meaning disciples, will be handed over to be persecuted and to put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Now, verse 10, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Now, I have looked at this verse 10, okay? Now, where do we find many in the faith such that many will turn away from the faith? Where do we find many in the faith? Well, we find them generally in the West. We find them in North America. We find them in Western Europe, meaning we find them mainly among cultures which are based on Western civilization, okay? Western civilization, of course, is based on Judeo-Christian tradition, which is based on the Holy Bible. So at that time, during the last days, many in the so-called Christian West will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Now, this has already taken place in the West. Uh, today, the West is known as post-Christian, especially Europe is called post-Christian. Uh, the UK is post-Christian, and North America, in terms of Canada and the US, we are also headed in that direction. Even though there are still many Christians in America, but the mainstream culture hates Christians. They hate our values. They hate the godly traditions that we have. Uh, they hate the fact that we say that homosexuality is a sin. They hate the fact that we say abortion is a sin. They hate the fact that we say tran transgenderism is not of God, it's from the devil. They hate that because they want freedom to do whatever their sinful nature wants. And so actually the mainstream culture in the West, in America, they hate us. They won't come out and say it, not yet, but they hate us. And that's why they're talking about civil war right now, okay? And so verse 10 has already been fulfilled. Well, it's in the process of being fulfilled. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. All right. And then verse 11, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Now, I have a lot to say about that, but I'm not going to right here. But I have a lot to say about the false prophets and false Christs, which are already on the scene in the West. And then verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And this is what has happened. 
the love of many. We're talking about agape love. The love of God will grow cold. Now there is a lot of hate in the West. They hate us. They hate us. We who say that uh, God exists and that we are not to sin and that we will be judged for our sins. They hate it when we say things like that. Okay. And then finally, verse 14 and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So all of these things are now in the process of being fulfilled. Many people turning away from the faith in the West, betraying and hating us, and the love, their love has grown cold. So, and then verse 14. So I believe that we are very close to the end, okay? But if you're asking me for an estimate of how many years, well, I can't say, but let me just share with you what I'm thinking. Right now, in terms of unreached people groups, according to missiologists, there are between 3,000 and 7,000 unreached people groups, which must be reached before the end comes. That's according to Matthew 24, 14. So the task would appear to be immense. But what is happening is that the Lord is now restoring the spirit and power of Elijah to the church Amen. to proclaim the kingdom of God to those who never heard. What is the spirit and power of Elijah? It's the power and boldness that Elijah demonstrated at Mount Carmel <laughs> when he challenged the prophets of Baal to an encounter. Uh, this type of power and boldness is being restored to the church. Uh, our harvest workers in India now are ministering in the spirit and power of Elijah. They actually challenge witch doctors. What witch doctors cannot do, they can do in the name of Jesus. All right. So we are seeing an acceleration in missions right now, beginning in India. It's an acceleration. Now, if this acceleration continues... I believe we can fulfill Matthew 24, 14 in the Great Commission within a few decades. But the key is if this acceleration continues. And so what is my part in this? My part in this is the following. When the Lord provides the funds, we are going to spend every penny on training and sending a huge army of workers into the unreached harvest fields of the world. That's my job. That's my calling. And if we have the funds, this acceleration will definitely continue. And then the end will come. So that's my view of this. Uh, when we have the funds, and I believe the Lord is going to provide the funds, I can share with that about that later if you want, brother. Uh, when we have the funds, we will send a huge army of workers into the unreached harvest fields of the world to fulfill the Great Commission through this acceleration that has now begun in India. Well, we're, we're certainly believing God with you and the scripture that you reference. We believe that is a prophetic fulfillment of this time. And part of one of the reasons why Mama Jennifer and myself are have sold everything we own. And I'm sitting in an empty apartment right now. We've been sleeping wow. on the floor for the past mm. four days. We sold our entire bedroom suite and everything because we're getting ready to transition <clears throat> to Irvine, California. And it's the restoration of the family altar. And mm. Malachi 4 and 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before mm. the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Yes. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. We believe mm. this particular prophetic prophecy of the spirit of Elijah 
is being fulfilled with raising up a generation, with training and equipping to go out as an army, mm. and conquer, not conquer in the sense of, of, of taking over so we can be the most wealthy and the best athletes, <laughs> the best conquering wickedness and darkness with light, conquering mm. with the gospel of Jesus Christ, demonic forces. And it's amazing to me how many churches and people in this hour that consider themselves to be spiritual believers that simply don't believe in spiritual warfare, in wickedness and darkness that is blinding the eyes of people. And even the things that have taken place that you mentioned here in, in America, one of the things that I believe that's getting ready to happen in uh uh, California is there's, there's going to be a divine reset. And what I mean by that is God is going to begin to raise up sons and daughters to begin to lift their voices and proclaim the truth of God's word. Mm. And even godly leaders are going to start replacing wicked leaders that have pushed the agendas of men. One of those agendas is what's coming up in the month of, of June. That we're praying about and believing that Roe versus Wade is going to mm. be returned. Amen. I just heard this morning that the state of Utah uh, just passed a bill like Texas passed, like the heartbeat law, yes. that caused it to be illegal to um, go and, and, and abort a child after six weeks uh, in the womb. And I believe that, that that particular Roe versus Wade were over 60 million children have been destroyed the innocent mm. have been destroyed is going to be overturned but i'm also seeing the push of wickedness and i also heard this morning that the state of uh, that the, the the state of maryland is trying to pass a law that you can kill babies up to 28 days after that <laughs> even after they're born it's okay to leave them sitting in an apartment to start to death mm. put them out in the cold to, to freeze to death it's okay. You, you won't be penalized. What kind mm. of a wicked heart? But it's just like Herod. When yeah. Herod knew the prophetic anointing was coming to this world to bring deliverance with the birth of Jesus Christ, he went out with a wicked heart and killed every male child a year older, a year old and down, mm. trying to eradicate. And this is the spirit of wickedness that, that goes back to um, uh, what, what the enemy is trying to accomplish of, of causing all people to hate us. But yes. I'm standing on the promise that the spirit of Elijah is going to be rampant to overcome Amen. the spirit of this wickedness that wants to destroy a generation. Instead, we're going to see the family altar rebuilt and restoration come. Mm. And this is what we're going to believe in. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. So um, I know you shared with me. I don't know how much you have liberty sharing. I know we had coffee at, at, a, at a coffee shop recently and about two months ago, and you talked about a possible great breakthrough that God was going to bring to you financially mm. that could empower you to be able to reach the nations. And if, if you have liberty, could you share some of what's going on with, with that area? Sure, yeah. Well, the, the Lord has been extremely gracious to us. 
ever since we started full-time ministry in 1978 as missionaries to Indonesia, he has been providing for us in a way that is not the usual way. Typically, when you raise money, you hope to bring together many, many, many donors, and each of them will give $50, $100, $200 a month so that altogether you'll have enough, okay? But since the beginning, the Lord has not done that with us. Instead, typically among those who support us, the Lord raises up one person who gives a very large amount, which enables us to do most of what we want to do. And so generally, we do not engage in your traditional fundraising, all right? Uh, God has spared us for some reason, okay? So instead, the Lord, he spends, he sends very special people to us, okay? And so in particular, during these very last days, uh, the Lord is raising up one particular supporter. Um, I don't want to say too much because uh, it's very sensitive, but this particular supporter wants to provide an enormous amount of funding for us, okay? We're not just talking about one million. We're talking about many, many, many millions of U.S. dollars for us to train and send a huge army of harvest workers to totally unreached harvest fields in the world, especially in the third world. And so I believe the Lord is, again, about to fulfill a word that he gave us from Isaiah 45. This is a prophetic word that was given to us. And it starts with verse 2. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. It appears that the Lord is going to fulfill that through one single donor. Uh, not that others do not give to us. We do have quite a few donors, but typically they are your 50, 100, 200 a month. But through this one particular donor, this could be a lot of money. And we're going to spend those funds. We're going to store those funds in heaven. <laughs> I'm not going to buy a new house. I'm not going to buy a new car. I'm not going to buy a new suit even. No, I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. But we're going to spend that money and we're going to train and send and support a huge army of workers into the Lord's harvest field, reaching Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, auto worshipers, animists, sorcerers with the gospel of the kingdom of God. We will train a huge army of workers how to heal the sick and cast out demons, exactly as Jesus did, as evidence to the world that he is the Messiah, the only way to the one true God. And so... I'm praying that the Lord will give me this privilege of having a part to play during these last days in fulfilling the Great Commission through this huge offering, which I believe is coming our way. All right. And, so, we, and, and we have found the same thing. Of course, we're not, you're talking millions, but uh, we haven't seen uh, that measure. And we're believing God that he is able because... The earth Amen. is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And, yes, the cattle on a thousand hills. And God certainly repaid the, yes. the Israelites for 400 years of bondage to the Egyptians by spoiling them the day before they left. And they came and gave them all of their silver and gold. And we certainly do believe that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And we, we rejoice and stand on these particular scriptures. Amen. But I, I just want to say that, you know, we have found over the past, especially 
I would say actually for, for Spirit Family, since the pandemic, that God has sustained our ministry by a handful, probably five or six people giving. It has not been mm, mm. hundreds giving, uh, uh, you know, because uh, a lot of people have become very focused on the negativity of what's around them. Of course, now everybody's, when I mentioned to people who are going to California, like, oh, California, that's horrible. Gas is $7 a gallon. <laughs> I, I serve the God that has everything. I'm not Amen. God will supply, but we too have seen that it has been a very small percentage of people giving large gifts to mm. help support the ministry. And it's always Amen. been God asked. We don't, we like yourself, don't get on and, and big, give big pushes for people. Mm. <laughs> you know, we let people know where yes. they can give. You know, we just tell them to go to our website and click on the online giving, or I may give them a link to give. But we too have seen. God move on people. And it's been a very small percentage that have a heart. And so we're just going to agree with you, Pastor Lau, that, that this particular um, individual that has committed to you to giving the uh, enormous amount that when this comes through, it's going to empower you to be able to raise up thousands of kingdom workers. Amen. Many Amen. nations that have not heard the gospel. I've preached in Indonesia, and I I know that Indonesia is about ninety nine percent Muslim. Is that correct? Uh, probably a little bit less now, but okay. yeah, at one time it was bad, but it's it's getting better. Okay. Yeah. When I preached, this was probably twenty five years ago. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, very very difficult, and that's the one place where I actually witnessed a martyr. I uh, had just flown in to Jakarta, and I. Uh, the gentleman, he's a he was a businessman, but also a um, his name was um, uh, uh, Amin, and he was a wonderful businessman, but also a uh, had a heart for the kingdom, and he was uh, paying for doing this meeting to reach souls. Oh. And I had flown in late. I on my flight landed about into Jakarta about eleven thirty, and so. He asked me, he said, we have a group of, of young men and women that are gathering for an intercessory prayer room in a prayer house here. And we would like to have you come and to just visit them and speak over them. And I, I apologized to him and I said, I am so sorry. I did not sleep at all on the flight. I am so exhausted. And we were starting immediately the next morning with teaching and training at 10 a.m. I said, if I could just go to my room and get some rest then I'll be ready in the morning. And um, so he took me to my room, left, dropped me off. And, and I, of course, got to my room about 1230. And I immediately took a shower and went to bed and went right to sleep. About 1.30 in the morning, about an hour, an hour later, the phone by my bedside rang. And it was this brother I'm in. And he was crying. And I could barely make his words out. Something about an attack against his prayer house. And asked if I would come downstairs and go there immediately because it was mm. a very serious situation. So I immediately got dressed, ran downstairs, and got in the car with, with Amen. And we went to this prayer house, and I pulled up. And what had happened was a group of radicals had mm. showed up and had told them to leave this house because they were going to burn the house down. Mm. They knew they were Christians praying. This was Jakarta? Yes. Oh. Yes, just outside of Jakarta. It was yeah. just 
probably on the outskirts. It wasn't in the main city. It was about 30 miles outside. Ah, uh, okay. And so we walked up to this house and the house had been burnt down. What happened was mm. a young leader, a very bold young man, his name was Paul. And he had stood in defiance and said, we're not leaving. And of course, many of the believers there that were praying had left out the back door because I knew it was very serious. Mm. These people had these uh, bottles of liquor with uh, uh, pieces of cloth stuck in it that were lit. Uh, we were saying, we're going to bomb this house. We're going to fire bomb this mm, house. And he said, uh, I'm not leaving. And so they threw these bottles of gasoline and liquor and everything. And one of them hit the ground at his feet and caught him on fire. Oh, and it's oh. the first time I ever came up to someone who was, he was, he had expired. Mm. He had burned to death. Oh. Oh. It so shook me. Yeah. And I prayed with them and talked with them. And of course, they were not wanting to have the meeting the next day. I said, no, we're going to continue mm. on with the meeting. Yeah. And I know that's extreme. That's very, but these types of things happen in countries that don't have the gospel. And yes. really, that's the difference between a goat nation and a sheep nation. Mm. about the goat nations and the sheep nations. And, you know, sheep nations are nations that are open to the gospel, open to people coming and receptive. Mm, yes. Uh, goat nations are nations that refuse and they're doing everything they can to silence the voice of the believers and to silence and to even make martyrs mm, of believers. And yes. It completely transformed my understanding. Mm -hmm. I thought persecution was just someone that laughed at you for preaching the gospel or came and, 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 and said bad things about you. But it, it, I saw a true life martyr on my mm. Yeah, and, uh, It was terrible, but uh, I ended up uh, the next day, we actually did a, a, a very quick funeral service for this young man. Mm. And, uh, uh, but uh, yeah. I, I've seen this type of persecution that people face, and, and it's a very serious thing in India. India, you know, there's there's a leader right now that is a radical Hindu. Yes, that is making many measures to try to stop the gospel from coming forth, but we're still seeing God move in many people that are hungry. Yeah, yeah. the greater the persecution, the greater the miracles. Actually, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We ourselves, uh, we saw some persecution in Indonesia. The reason why we left after nine years was because we were kicked out. We were declared persona non grata. And so that's why we returned to the United States. Yeah, there were threats. Eventually the Indonesian CIA decided to blacklist us because we were causing trouble for them among the, among the Muslims, yes. But uh, now, I think I'm off the blacklist. Back then, they didn't have computers. <laughs> they, they don't know I was blacklisted. So now I think we can go back freely. We plan oh. to go back uh, this summer sometime to train, train workers. Yes. Beautiful. Well, I hope to be able to make a trip sometime with you. Uh, oh, Pascal, and wonderful. Keep me posted on what you're doing. And if I could all make a trip with you, I would love to go and see firsthand Mm. training and equipping and activations that you mm. do for the kingdom's sake. And I know that you're a great proponent on uh, walking with spiritual authority, using your voice to speak with authority, to command demons to come out, to bind demonic forces, to um, 
to command sickness to leave and to command for healing to come. And, and just your teachings on that has really empowered and strengthened us in our ministry mm. to not well, follow the religious pattern of praying for the sick or begging God to heal people, rather <laughs> to walk with authority to do mm. what Jesus said. Yes. Heal the sick. Amen. Cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead. Amen. Cast out devils, to speak with tongues, to do the works of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Amen. 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 Thank you, Apostle John. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We love you and certainly support everything you're doing. Thank you for spending time with us today and sharing oh, your vision. My pleasure, and, my privilege, brother. <laughs> and we'll continue to, to to pray with you and support you and uh, and we'll be in touch again. Yes, we'll stay in touch. Okay. All right. Well, God bless you, sir. God bless you, Apostle. Goodbye. Have a great day. Thank you. You too.